Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, the official podcast of United Basketball Clinics, and presented by my good friends, Dr. Dish Basketball. My hope is that as you listen to the podcast, you'll gain knowledge in culture building, leadership, and X's and O's so you can better lead your team. Now, let's grow the game together. All right, we're back for another edition of the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. We have got a treat. Our guest is Coach Jefferson Mason with Dr. Dish Basketball. Jefferson, how are you doing today? I am doing well. I tell you what, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. I'm just excited to get going and chat with you here. That's awesome, man. That is that is great. And it's good to know that you guys are happy and healthy as well. My family is too. And for all you guys that aren't out there, if there's every way we can be of service, man, please let us know. We are here for our coaching community. Well, Jefferson, we're going to dive right into it. All right, you ready? I'd like to learn a little bit more right off the top about your background prior to coming on to Dr. Dish, um, and then kind of give us a little bit about what you do with Dr. Dish basketball. Yeah, definitely. So uh, born and raised, grew up here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our headquarters for Dr. Dish actually are in Bloomington, which is about 20 minutes away from where I grew up, which is awesome. Um, I played high school um, and then ultimately college basketball here at Minnesota State Mankato. I did spend two years playing Division I uh, for Tad Boyle at Northern Colorado, which was fantastic, uh, but decided to come back home and, um, you know, play, you know, for the hometown city here and, and have my family and friends be able to watch me. So went out to Minnesota State for a couple of years and had an absolutely amazing team, uh, great teammates, great coaches, and we were very successful. Ended up going to uh, the D2 Final Four my senior year, and that gave me the opportunity to continue uh, my basketball playing career. So I uh, went over and, and played in Europe, um, all over the place. I played professionally for about five or six years, uh, making stops in you know, Turkey, Luxembourg, uh, Germany, Romania. I also played in uh, the NBA D-League at the time. They called it the G-League. So some of the young bucks out there, when I say D-League, they're like, what are you talking about? But that's what it was called, uh, the developmental league. And uh, I played for the Dallas Mavericks down there for a little bit of time, too, before heading back over to Europe. So played basketball for a, a really long time, was very fortunate to play at some of the highest levels, spent some time working out and in the preseason with the Minnesota Timberwolves for a few years and, um, you know, out in Las Vegas during the summer league as well. So um, I was really blessed to play as far as I did. I think I was a talented player, but. I probably got a little bit more out of myself than even I thought. So really blessed in, in that sense. Well, I've actually seen you, um, some videos of you, and I've seen you jump out of the gym. I know you can jump, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably, that's probably my, uh, you know, go-to right there. I think everybody, even now at 32, I can get up higher than the average athlete back in my prime. I, I think I was, I was up there, and that caught a lot of attention. But um, you know, one thing with me, I always got better every single year. And, and some of the weaknesses that I had in my game, I, I was well aware of those and, and continue to work on those. And I got them to a point where, um, you know, my athleticism wasn't the only thing that was carrying me. Some of the skills were, were helping me succeed as well and understanding the game. And again, you know, you do things the right way and, and the opportunity comes when you're ready, uh, you get that chance. And for me, it just kind of all clicked and worked out. And, um, you know, for me, it's a huge blessing. It got me to where I am today. That's awesome. So you've you've been on with Dr. Dish now. After that, you've been on with Dr. Dish for about four years now, right? Yeah, four years. So give us a little peek behind the curtain into what you do. I know a lot of us see you um, online all the time, posting videos in the lab and stuff like that. But give us a peek behind the curtain at what you do at Dr. Dish. 
Yeah, so technically my title at uh, Dr. Dish right now is the Senior Brand Director. So um, I do anything, you know, involving our brand direction and where we want to go, who we are kind of in, in on social media, uh, who we want to portray ourselves to be, the, the different vibes, uh, the way that coaches and players see us. Um, I'm also heavy on the content side. So a lot of people out there watching this will know me as Coach Mason. Um, I'm always on the court being that, you know, I did uh, actually play basketball and do train uh, kids and college and pro players. So um, I also pair that with getting on the court, creating some really cool, unique content drills and so on and so forth for the machine. But then also brand videos to help, you know, our company grow. I think uh, who we want to be, you know, you know, kind of the cool kids on the block out there that also know what they're talking about. That's a vibe we're trying to set out. So my job is to make sure that within the industry, we're kind of a front and center. We're leading making sure that we're making good decisions as far as uh, how our products are developing um, and then getting in front of the camera being an ambassador and uh, representative of Dr. Dish all around the world. That's great. And it, I, one of the things I've always thought about you guys in our, in our relationship and our partnership together um, is that you guys are just way more than, than just a shooting machine. You know what I mean? And, and seeing the development of, your your player development drills and your content that you guys put out there and you guys have so many resources available to players and coaches now um, that can help elevate their elevate their game um i, I you guys are just more than than you know just a, a package you know what i mean which is, which is really really cool so it means you're doing your job well <laughs> yeah i and i appreciate you saying that because that's exactly <laughs> what we want to hear and that's what we're going for but truthfully like you said we are more than a shooting machine i mean typically if you think of the machine you're, you're going to get a ton of shots up. But what we wanted to do was become a basketball hub for coaches, players, trainers, parents all over the place to say, hey, you know, if I have a question or I'm confused or I don't know what route I should take, let's check out Dr. Dish and see what they have to offer. I mean, anywhere from drills, uh, shooting, obviously, but ball handling, agility, conditioning, so on and so forth, to motivational blog posts and, you know, ways to, to get your players involved and being a parent of a basketball player. I mean, all these things are important for success. And, you know, we have a lot of great minds within Dr. Dish, and we're also partnered with great people outside of Dr. Dish like yourself that bring uh, tremendous opportunity, content, um, and ideas that we're able to share and provide to all of our customers and people that follow us out there. So it's been a goal, I, I think, of our CEO to, to, to be that way. And, you know, when I jumped on board, I'm like, I'm more – and for that, when I was growing up, I didn't have a ton of resources myself, and I was kind of out there on an island. Uh, so I always think about the things that maybe my parents would have wanted to know, my coaches, and even myself. And we try to implement that in what we do every day. And that's so good. That is so good. And and for you listeners out there, I promise this is not going. This this episode right here is not just going to be one big infomercial for Doctor Dish. <laughs> although that is going to be what, the reason we wanted to have Coach on is to discuss a lot of these things that he does on that side as well, you know, um, to be able to provide you with extra resources to be able to help you grow and to help your players grow. And, and that's really their heart. And that's our heart as well. And that's why our relationship, our partnership and stuff that we've had for so long now is such a natural fit because we're, we have the same common goal, which is fantastic. So I got to ask you, as we're talking about the resources that you guys offer coach, um, I know that you guys, the, the pandemic has, has forced a lot of people to adapt. You know, um, everybody has, to, has had to adapt in some way or another, and definitely basketball coaches as well. Um, 
one of the things and players too for sure so one of the things that you guys did that was really cool i think it was back near the end of april start of may somewhere around there is you guys did a 10-day virtual camp can you tell us a little bit about how that went and is there any resources left over from that available for people to check out yeah definitely actually right now that 10-day virtual camp is still available it's just a rolling start date so what we wanted to do was provide uh, players at home an opportunity to keep getting better it's crazy how when, uh, you know, before this all happened, how structured everybody was, even if they didn't think that they were. Go to practice, maybe you get some extra shots up, you talk with your coach, you're in AAU, you have other sports, whatever it is. And when everything shut down, players and parents were like, well, what can we do? Where can we train? What can we do at home? And so what we wanted to do was put a package together for players and parents and coaches all over the place to be able to view on a day-to-day basis. And so we launched our 10-day virtual clinic, which essentially encompasses all the different skills of basketball. We're talking shooting, ball handling, agility, conditioning, everything you can think of. And now every single day, you're going to kind of get a workout or um, a challenge or a set of drills that you can go through, whether that's shooting again, ball handling. And they're all formatted in order to work on specific skills. So. For example, one of the days I know we have our partner, DJ Sackman, who's one of the best trainers uh, in the world. We have a day dedicated to him where he's going through several different progressions with ball handling into shooting, and he does a fantastic job of breaking that down. The cool thing is that there's videos associated to it, so it's like that trainer is almost there for you. And then we have our different goals that we set. Now, if you have our shooting machine, you can go into the shooting machine and you can actually just go do those workouts, you can select them, and then all your stats are gonna be saved. If you didn't have or you don't have a shooting machine, you can still do it. We've designed this to be for everybody. Obviously, we want people doing it on our machines, but if you don't, you can rebound for yourself and get out there and and do that. But we have 10 days that it's gonna be completely different every single day. We have a couple rest days in between, we have a couple challenges in there to get players going. But we've seen um, almost essentially every country in um, you know, on, on every continent in, in the world do our 10-day. I mean, we have uh, Evan Davis, one of our marketing managers. He gives us updates of another country that's jumped on board that's had somebody do it. So the reach in, um, that we've had with this virtual camp has been absolutely fantastic. And, and it just shows us that it was definitely a need and it continues to be a need during this time, even with some places opening up and shutting down. We just want to continue to be on the edge of the – um, you know, the playing field of, hey, we want to help you guys get better, whether you have a machine or not, we're there for you, we're supporting. So if you haven't looked at it, check it out. It's really cool stuff. And that's really good. And it's a great resource. You know, we've, uh, in the coaching community, we've we've been fortunate to have some virtual clinics that have been available for free online that we can check out and, and stuff like that. And you guys being able to offer this for players and even for coaches, it's a great resource for coaches as well. Um, is just is just next level. It's awesome, man. And you guys did a really, really good job with that. I'm glad you guys had a good response to it as well and are continuing to. That's awesome. Um, as we talk about how we've adapted during this time, and, and you know, granted, this interview with you is probably not going to air until um, August, near the beginning of August. We'll probably still be going on with, we'll probably still have the pandemic, you know, be prevalent. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question about post-pandemic. All right. What do you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So uh, hopefully you don't mind, but what do you think there's some things that coaches have learned and that you guys have learned over the course of this time where we've had to adapt. And so maybe some different coaching practices that we've adopted during COVID 
um, that you feel should be part of every coach's routine post-pandemic. So what should we, what have we learned here that we should maybe carry over post-pandemic to when things get semi back to normal? Yeah, I think the two, the two things that really stand out to me uh, is communication. We hear it all the time in our lives, within our relationships, um, you know, in sports, in our workplace, and everybody's like, yeah, let's communicate, let's do it. But until you're really forced or you're in a position that you have to communicate on a high level, you, you really never do it um, as good as you could. And I think with COVID and everything happening and, and coaches being separated and trainers being separated from their players for the most part, communication has been huge. Communicating on the things that players can get better at, the things that they're doing or they need to do, and then also just on how they are mentally. I think these are all things that we should be doing, coaches should be doing on a day-to-day -day basis regardless, right? Even if you're not seeing your player, because this helps the player internally become better. I think that that's the number one thing. The second thing is going to be a self-evaluation. It's huge, both on the uh, parent, player, and coach side. So when I say self-evaluation, this is what I mean. Again, we get into this structure of uh, we have AAU, we have basketball, we go back and forth, we have other sports, we have school. And it's very, very hard to sometimes sit down and look yourself in the mirror as a player. It's equally as hard as a coach when you're super busy with either teaching or your other job, your own personal family, your kids, whatever's going on, to look yourself in the mirror and evaluate and see what you can do better. And I think this time that we've had to really slow down, be forced to stay in our homes to a certain degree or, you know, be alone, we've been able to look at ourselves and say, where do I want to be in two years from now or five years from now? What is the type of coach that I want to be? How can I help my players become better? Is at the end of the day, a big piece of it is the skills and the drills and the on-court stuff, but a larger portion of it is the communication, like I mentioned before, and how we're we're reaching these kids on a deeper level because that communication, that um, you know, bond that you have with your players means a lot. And if you don't understand your players, who they are, you know, what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, what makes them tick, what can make them great, you're not going to get the most out of your players. And ultimately, if you can help get the most out of your, your players and help them reach their maximum potential as quickly as possible, you're probably going to have a successful team. You're going to have a fun team. People are going to come out and watch. You're going to have a good time. So I think that we need to continue this um, in the basketball community of, of holding ourselves accountable on a lot of different levels, making sure we're communicating, and then looking at ourselves you know, on a monthly basis or even more if you can and say, how could I have been better? How can I be better? How am I going to actually implement this once my kids start coming back around? And then how am I going to maintain this as I move forward? And that's really, really good. And that's great advice, too. I, I feel like during this pandemic and, and during COVID that it's, it's forced us to develop even more meaningful relationships with our players. You know what I mean? And, and so being able to have that communication where we're not on the court together, you know what I mean? It's not like the, our typical time where we would see each other or, you know, be with the team and have team basketball going on and activities. But the, the communication, I've, I know coaches, and I've heard some stories as well, like coaches have really strengthened their bond with their players. I mean, that relationship with their players, being able to learn even more about their home life and, and stuff like that and, and what they can do to assist them in their personal development away from the team. Um, I think, man, that, I think that's fantastic for sure. So uh, I, on that note, I actually wanted to ask you, I want to get down to some nuts and bolts of some some moves and stuff too, right? So I know you guys focus a lot on drills. And like you said, a lot of them 
um, you can you can do without your your shooting machines. However, a lot of them incorporate your shooting machines as well. And I'm going to allow you a, t a time at the end because I wanted to you to tell us a little bit a lot about the product line you guys have. Um, but right now, let's talk about specific drills. I see you recording in the lab all the time, right? And uh, so what are some of your, I would like to get your opinion on, what are some of your favorite um, moves um, for different scenarios? So I'm going to get, I'm going to throw out a few scenarios and I would like for you to tell me kind of what's your favorite one, or what do you think is going to help if an amateur player adds it to their game in these certain situations? What is, what move do you feel like in each of these situations is going to help take their game to the next level? Can we do that? Yeah, definitely. Awesome, man. All right. We're going to start with guard play. All right. So I know as the game has evolved, Guard play has become even more like, you know, bigger emphasis. You see a lot of perimeter shots going up these days. So let's, let's focus on that for, for a second. Guard play, um, what is a move that you like that helps a guard create, with the ball create space um, to get a perimeter shot up? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think, first off, you hit the nail on the head with shooting. Shooting has become uh, the premier skill. I think it always has been, but with incredible athletes and guys that can handle the ball, Sometimes that gets, um, you know, overlooked a little bit. But shooting is the premier skill. If you can shoot, you can, you can be on a basketball team. I promise you that. As a former player, as a coach, trainer, I can tell you that for sure. If you can shoot, you'll make a team. It doesn't matter if you're that, tall or not either. Right? Yeah, you yeah, can be seriously. Short just I mean, like me. And you can, if you can shoot, you can play. <laughs> you don't have to be the most athletic person, the quickest, the tallest, the strongest. If you can shoot, you become a, a resource on a team. And, I think one of the biggest things that trainers forget, um, and this is kind of answering your question for a specific move, but what trainers forget is that we can use our own body to create space and get open. And so if you look at Dr. Dish, we have a ton of different trainers that we work with, along with myself when I get out there that teach different moves, you know, your front foot stop, which is going to create some separation going downhill. Um, you know, sometimes your lateral bound, which is going to get you moving side to side and allow you to be a little bit more shifty when you're doing a move. But one of the things that I teach, especially my younger players, is to simply use their body. And one drill that we work on is just splitting the defender. So if you have a defender pressing up on you, you take whatever your pivot foot is, you move that and split their legs, and then you give them a nice subtle shoulder bump right in their chest as they're pressing up on you. Naturally, what will happen is, is that defender will kind of go back a little bit. If you're a good shooter, you create that space, you go ahead and knock it down. Not only it takes one time for you to knock that down, and then now it's a world of options that open up. You can step through, split that, bump the defender, sweep and try to blow past. You can jab and go the opposite way. So just by using your shoulder and splitting a defender's feet, you can open up a variety of different moves and a lot of options to score. And then from there, it's just making the right decision. If your player, if your defender closes it out on you, how do you attack their top foot? How do you attack, you know, their weakness? If they're playing you strong because you're a great shooter, how can you get on their hips so you can get to the hoop? So I think the biggest thing with shooters, especially if you're not the best ball handler, is how can I use my offhand? How can I use my shoulders? How can I use my legs, you know, to get the defender off balance to get open shot? And then if you learn how to do that and you pair that with, you know, all the different cool individual moves that not only myself, but all of the trainers out there work on, you're going to be a deadly player uh, when you get on the basketball court. So for me, I, I would really say utilizing your body, uh, being strong with the basketball can give you some quick open opportunities for the basketball. 
And that's really good. That's really good. And it create create space for you on the perimeter too to be able to get those looks. That's really good. I'm, you know, I I like when this when this particular move I'm going to mention is done correctly and legally, um, because I think it can be effective, especially if you use it after what you just discussed. But you see a lot these days, you know, the step back jumpers, you know, on the perimeter. And and uh, you know, as an official, sometimes our it's our point. It was a point of emphasis for this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because you see a lot of people pushing off their pivot foot and doing a staggered landing on their step back. I have to ask you guys. So, like in your training and development, how much do you guys reference rules? Because there's there's a lot of these moves that that could be super super effective if they're done legally and almost impossible to stop. You know what I mean? To be honest. Um, it, it takes a lot of hard work and practice, but you see, you know, there's so many times during the season, I see that step back where I have to whistle a traveling violation because they created space for the step back and they have a staggered landing after they ended the dribble with one foot on the floor. So how do you guys teach that? And what do you feel about the step back? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a powerful move. Um, and like you said, everything is going to be dependent on who's in your game. You have some referees that really understand. They really know the game. They're watching. Uh, they're going to ref it the right way, and they're going to make some of those calls. And then sometimes you have referees that will let some things go, as, as you probably know, uh, in your field. What we try to do is teach players to do things the right way. You know, obviously, I'm never going to get a player in there and say, hey, work on a step back or work on your, you know, your swing through step uh, and add in an extra one and just see if the referee is going to call it out. We want to practice right. the right way. Now, with that being said, when the game comes, it's chaotic. Right. We got bodies on us. People are all over the place. Fans are cheering. And sometimes we can't be perfect in our moves. It's impossible. And you'll have a foot that will slide a little bit here or there because you're moving too fast, so on and so forth. Again, that's going to be on the referee to make the call. If you get away with it, lucky you. But we want to practice the way that we're going to actually be in the game. And so for me, I try to paint situations uh, as a defender myself by actually getting out there and saying, hey, if you're going to use this step back, as a defender, if I give you a little bit, a bit of a push on your hip or I play your top foot here or I shift and I go here or you have a defender here, where are you going to move your body? Where are you going to move your feet? Where is your separation going to be? And you can start to see players, you know, add in that extra step or they may land uh, incorrectly and you can call it out and say, hey, that's a travel. Now, just imagine in a game, these situations happen all the time. And so if you're not prepared and you're not training correctly for that, then you're not going to execute it in the game. And so for me, I try to make training as organized and chaotic at the same time. It, it may not make sense, but it does, trust me. So we go through stuff and we make sure that we're comfortable doing it with our bodies. But then ultimately after that, I make it chaotic where I have players get so frustrated because they don't know what I'm going to do defensively. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm saying, hey, you have to make the reads yourself. You have to think about what this is going to look like in a game. And oftentimes it leads to some travels and whatnot in our training. But then it's my job to call that out so that we can limit that when we get into a game. And again, if you do slide a foot here or there and that referee doesn't call it, lucky you. But more than likely, you know, these referees are, are taught to see these things and make sure that, you know, there isn't an unfair advantage for a player. Because, again, if you do something and you get away with it and it's unstoppable, well, now it's not fair for everybody else out there. So, um, you know, we focus on doing things the right way and putting them into situations where they're comfortable when they get into uh, that chaotic nature of, of a basketball game. 
That's so good. Uh, organized and chaotic at the same time. I think that's great. And a lot of coaches, it, I'm sure, implement that in their practices as well. But that's absolutely something that I think is imperative. And, and it really helps you rely on that muscle memory that you gain in training. You know, muscle memory is a huge part of what you guys do, like, and being able to train your body to continue to do things the right way. Obviously, when it's chaotic, there's going to be times where things happen, you slip up, you may travel here and there, but training your body, because that's what we have to do too. Yeah. The muscle memory, like, would train our eyes to be in two places at one time, the idea of pivot foot and the end of a dribble. It's, def it's difficult to do if yeah. you don't do it over and over and over again. That's great. Uh, guard play. Let's stick with guard play for a second. Uh, dribble, drive, finish at the rim. Obviously, you brought up a good point. Um, the the positioning of the defense dictates, you know, a lot of what you would try. But in general, as a rule of thumb, like, what is one of your favorite finishing moves on a dribble drive uh, by a guard? I love the veer finish, which is essentially stepping your inside foot into the defender. Um, you utilize this a lot of times when the defender is kind of riding your hip or maybe even um, a little bit more on your front side. It, it helps with um, eliminating charges, but it also helps with eliminating that defender coming to block your shot. So when you do a veer finish, you're kind of awkwardly stepping in with your left or your right foot into the defender, which is not something that a defender is used to. So it kind of puts them in a position where they can't really move or jump. And then you're going to finish with your opposite uh, foot, same hand. So it's, it's a tough finish for especially young players, but it's one that you see all the time at the college and NBA level because it gives you the opportunity to um, eliminate that defender from coming across and blocking or coming across to set, uh, take that charge. It also puts a lot of pressure on guys like you who are referees to make a call, right? And so when that body contact happens, you guys as referee have to make a decision of, you know, is this a charge? Is this just a no call? Or is this a foul? Because we got a lot of body action happening here. I always like to put it on the player to put the pressure on the referee to make a call and make a play. You know, if you get in there with that veer and you finish and make that basket, we're running the opposite way. But if you miss it and there's some extra contact, you might get to the free throw line because you did it the right way rather than shy away from the contact and do something different. And so, in overall, I love that one, but overall what I would say is this, is I like to concentrate on multiple, a lot of different finishes. Because, again, if you can only jump off your left leg and finish with your right hand or jump stop, that's only going to take you so far. you got to be able to add in a Euro step, a controlled stop, a controlled floater, a runner. I mean, there's a million different things that you can do to finish, and you have to figure that out within your own self and your skill set and athleticism. But at the same time, Having all of those tools within your kit is going to give you the best chance to successfully finish. And then again, put some pressure on the guys with the stripes and the ladies with the stripes to make a call for you, get to the free throw line, make some easy ones, and get rocking and rolling. Absolutely. That's absolutely. That's good stuff. Um, let's shift to post play. You cool with that? Yeah. Um, uh, post player, you know, you, I don't see as much posting up as we used to. We talked about the game evolving. Um, I'm not going to say, well, in the NBA, sometimes I feel like, you know, post play has become extinct, but you know, at the amateur level, you still see it from time to time. Um, let's say you got post player, uh, catches the ball back to the basket defender right behind him. Um, what's, what's kind of your go-to or one of those things. And obviously I know the defense, the defender behind you dictates that and what's going on around you, but what's one of your favorites? Two things. So I teach a lot is just a shoulder shape. So it's super simple. It doesn't, uh, force the player to really get out of their comfort zone. A shoulder shake, especially if you have a defender that's 
really active, really aggressive. Um, they're moving on really anything. A simple shoulder shake is going to get you an opportunity to maybe make a quick, easy turn hook or just dribble around the defender for a quick finish. So I like that for the left finish, for the right finish when we're on the block or even a little bit out. For me as a player, I actually used to do this all the time. I was an inside-outside guy depending on my matchups. But I would do a little shoulder shake, one dribble, and then spin back the opposite way. Uh, very, very, very simple. Very, very effective. You know, it, it, sometimes less is more. And I tell my players that all the time. So that was one of my go-tos, you know, for players that um, are athletic enough but also have that good change of pace um, down on the block. The second one I would say is opening up and squaring to your defender. One of the hardest things to do is guard somebody in that mid-range area. That's why for me, it's tough to see, you know, only three-point shots and layups because I feel that when you get that basketball in that mid-range area, whether you're posting up or you square up and you're facing that defender, it's very hard to guard because you can get to the hoop in one dribble. If you have space, you can knock down a shot. You can get creative if you're comfortable there or you can create for a teammate, right? When you're outside the three-point line, it gives the defense help side or you know even your primary defender a chance to recover a little bit easier. When you get in that mid-range area, it's a lot more difficult. Hence why the greatest basketball players in the world right now, uh, for the most part, and in the past, operated in that mid-range you know, area. If you look at Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, you know, even LeBron James and some of these guys that continue to evolve as their crews get older, they operate in that space because it's easier to score the basketball, you know, if you're skilled. And so I work on that back to the basket, easy sh shoulder shake, less is more, and then opening up to the basket. What are you doing? Is your defender off you? If so, knock down the jump shot. If they're up tight on you and they're shifted one way, attack that foot and then get to the, get to the hole and finish or make a play for your teammate. So Again, less is more sometimes. You don't need a, a ton. But, um, you know, those are two really good actions that players can get easy baskets down low. I did it myself. That's so good. Uh, I'm glad that you, you mentioned the, the word operated in the mid-range area. A lot of times we hear the discussion going on these days about the death of the mid-range jumper. You know, and, and sure, that's, that's the case. You know, it's, it's pretty much obsolete. However, um, operate, it's much more than just the shot in the mid-range area. I love that you elaborated a little bit on the mid-range, like operating in the mid-range area because it can create so much for you and your team. Yeah, I think that's kind of a lost start these days. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when you're talking about the mid-range jump shot, a lot of people are saying, you know, one dribble into that mid-range jump shot or your foot a little bit over the three-point line. It's the worst, you know, shot in, in, in the world. It's a long two. You know, a lot of those type of shots are what coaches try to shy away from because they're difficult. But again, if you can catch the basketball, um, you know, in that two-point mid-range 45-degree slot or those elbows or even in the short corner, again, it's, it's – a lot of players don't like to do it because it's hard to operate in that area. You've got a lot going on. You might have things going on behind you, to the side of you. Whereas when you're bringing the ball up the court and you're on a three-point line, you can kind of see everything. People, are, Players are more comfortable with that. But if you can catch the basketball in that mid-range area, scan the floor quick, make an individual move, knock down a shot, or get to the free throw line, those are the toughest players to guard. Like I said, in college and especially in the NBA and WNBA, you see it all the time. With that being said, it applies to zone basketball in high school as well. Why is it that when teams go into zone and – 
a, a coach is telling a player, I need you guys to flash to the middle, get the ball there. They get the ball there, they turn and throw it wide away, or they don't know what to do. They miss an easy mid-range jump shot. Why is that? Well, they're not comfortable operating there, especially when there's nobody even guarding them. Oftentimes, they're just making you have an opportunity to score. So for me as a player, I was really comfortable operating in that area in high school, in college, and even professionally. So if teams went zone, I was like, I'm the guy. I want to be in the middle. I don't want to be on the outside shooting threes. I want to be in the middle making the play or getting to the hole because I knew I had an advantage there. But it takes a lot of time in the gym. It takes trainers to really emphasize different feels and different looks and, and where the defense is at and then giving opportunities for that player to score. And, again, if you can do it, you'll, you'll be a great basketball player for sure. That's all. I don't want to keep harping on this, but I do have to say this. So at, you mentioned some legends that really were you're great at operating in mid-range. Um, one of the ones that I used to, and there's so many good ones, but I used to love to watch Carl Malone in the mid-range. You know what I mean? Dude, like, had eyes in the back of his head. For a post player, I mean. Like, a post player being able to flash up there, he could do so much out of the mid-range. And it's like he could, he could, indicate, he could find a pass that you didn't even know existed. You just turn real quick and dump it off, and he was really good in the mid-range. What do you think? I'm going to ask you this um, while we're still on this topic. So operating in that mid-range, you sit, you mentioned that a lot of players are uncomfortable doing that, right? So do, is there any drills that you could, that you can teach that you can, you know, use in practice that can help players, post players, especially become more comfortable operating in the mid-range? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is awareness. So oftentimes when players get into that mid-range area, especially like in a zone defense, they're not aware of where everybody is on the basketball court. They're only focused on, I'm coming to the middle of the lane. I'm going to uh, get a pass. What am I going to do next? One thing that I try to focus on is viewing the court and understanding where everybody is. In a zone, or even if you're just flashing within a man-to-man, -man, most of the times you're going to have a player at the top of the key that's shifting. You might have players on the wing. And that's what makes players afraid of, is when I catch that basketball, and I'm in that mid-range area trying to operate. If I put that ball down, is somebody going to dig from behind, on my right side, on my left side? That's where we get nervous. But if you understand where players are on the basketball court within your offense and you know where your players are going to be, it gives you an opportunity to be a little bit more smart and critically think about where you need to go or where your next step is at. And so for me, what I try to do is paint pictures for my players when they get there and say, okay, well, what is what does your team usually do? Where is your opportunities to score here? Or what could we do if this player was here or here or here or here? Now, not all the time are you going to be able to catch the basketball and put it down right away by any means. But a lot of times you can put that basketball down, you'll have a dribble or two to be aggressive and get to the hoop or create a scoring opportunity for a teammate. It's just about getting comfortable there. And so again, if I have extra players or extra coaches around, I'll say, hey, stand here, stand here, stand here. And this coach is going to dig in from here. This coach is going to dig in here from here. And this one from here. What are you going to do? Are you going to make a pass? Do you feel them on your backside? How does that make you feel? Oftentimes it makes the players feel uncomfortable. That's great. We want to continue to do it so that we become comfortable in the uncomfortable, right? And so now come game time, I know as soon as I catch that basketball, my point guard's here, but he's spacing out to the left. Okay? If that defender digs out, I'm listening to hear that so I can make a quick pass to my teammate. They're going to knock that down. We're going to get a three-point or a nice, easy bucket. If not, I got my guys here on the wing. I have an opportunity, depending on where my defender is now, 
to either attack that high foot or aggressively go to the hoop and make a quick move for a scoring opportunity. Or catch the basketball, space, look at the court, and then make a quick pass. So, again, being comfortable in that situation, putting defenders all around, making sure that you're talking through it, just not going through the drill. Flash, pass, shoot. Flash, pass, dribble, drive. Like, talk to the players on, on what they'll see and give them hypothetical situations and so that when they become when they get into that situation, they're, again, they're not nervous, they're not worried. They're like, oh, I've seen this before. I've talked about this before. And then after they get through that a few times, it becomes organic in nature. Uh, it's hard to explain. You don't have to – it's like writing your name. You don't have to think about that when you do that. You just do it, right? So you get used to it just like any other skill in the game of basketball. So good, so good. I want to ask about plays in transition. This isn't necessarily a move. I mean, I guess this one is that I'm going to bring up as a move, but I want to hear kind of your, when you were a player and kind of what you maybe teach now is um, catching the ball in transition. So an outlet pass, let's say it was after a rebound um, and you could have numbers. Um, let's say, so one of the things I like is when, um, I, I like when players use the rules to their advantage and and do it legally, so, but but use the rules to their advantage. So one of the things I like to see that sometimes is is commonly misunderstood is they can begin their dribble by throwing the ball, you know, a few feet down the court. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so the the push and chase is a, a effective move if somebody's a defender's jumping you real quick on an outlet pass and transition. I love that one. But let's say you know on fast breaks, I mean you can talk about that one if you want. But on fast breaks you know, kind of what's your thought process on fast breaks? What, what do you like what principles that you like to see out of players in trying to get to the rack? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had coaches on both sides of this where I've had coaches that didn't really do fast breaks too much. They had like secondary transition breaks and whatnot. I mean, if you were wide open and you had a layup and there was nobody there, obviously we're going to take that. But if there's a defender or two back, we're not actually going to push it. We're just going to get into our secondary transition. And then I've had other coaches that were completely opposite that, like, we don't care. We're going transition every single time to try to score the basketball. I'm somewhere in between where anytime there's a transition uh, scoring opportunity, I want to go at it. I personally believe, and I think a lot of other coaches believe this too, the hardest thing to guard is transition basketball, right? Uh, my college coach, we spent a ton of time on transition defense because it's extremely hard to guard. And on the flip side, they wanted us to go. Oftentimes, I would get, I was a good rebounder in college. I'd get the rebound and I'd go myself, right? I'd just go and I'd have an advantage because my guy playing the three or the four wasn't used to me bringing up the basketball. Therefore, they were kind of shook a little bit, right? And so I could use my athleticism, get to the hoop, or make a play for my teammate. But I'm all for getting that basketball, outletting, pushing it up, and then attacking that defense. You're going to get easy buckets that way. The other thing that it helps you with, too, is that. Teams will stop trying to come for the offensive rebound because they're worried about you pushing on on the uh, on the transition. So they're going to get back, and you can eliminate you know easy buckets that way as well. But if you have athletes or you got girls or guys that like to get up and down, this is the time to let them be free. Um, you know, organized basketball as far as half court and running plays—that's great. But a lot of younger players, in the way basketball is right now, they like to get up and down, score points. They like to get a lot of shots up. In transition, basketball gives a lot of different players the opportunity to get looks or get scoring opportunities that maybe they don't have in a half-court set. You know, if I have two girls or guys that are kind of my main players, a lot of the players we run are for them, they're our scorers, and we only play half-court basketball, those other three players are only going to get shots, you know, if the defender helps off, 
They're usually going to be setting screens and running around, which is not bad at all. But we understand young kids these days with their parents, you know, shoot the basketball, do this and that. They want their opportunities as well. I mean, I'm sure you hear it all the time running on the court. All the time. Shoot the ball, shoot the ball. (laughs) All the time. You know, all that good stuff. But it gives them an opportunity to get a quick shot or an opportunity to touch that basketball and make a play. And if they choose not to, they don't. As far as pushing that basketball out, man, we teach that all the time. Get that basketball out there and chase it. Obviously, you don't want to chuck it down the court because you'll get it stolen. But within reason, throw that basketball out there, go chase it, and give yourself an opportunity to gain some speed and come downhill. When you come downhill hard on a defender, it's a scary thing. Trust me. I've been in that position. I've been dunked on. I can tell you that. I've been no. step. Hey, I'm okay with saying it now, man. My playing days, for the most part, other than mentally feral, so I'm okay with it. But it is a scary position to be in on every level. And so I promote that. Hey, come downhill, put the pressure on, you know, the rest to make a call. And if you put in the time, the skill, the training, you're going to be able to make a play on that one-on-one situation, you know, coming downhill at that speed every single time. And that's so good because if you come downhill at that, that type of speed, I'm going to tell you from a ref standpoint, like I've been looking, I've, I've seen so many block charge plays now in my ref career. It's not even funny, but, um, seeing that the the chances of the defender losing their legality and their positioning um, when somebody attacks them like that are, are much higher. If you attack them hard like this and you're coming right at them, nobody, ain't nobody want to stand there in legal guarding position and take that contact. You know what I mean? They they might move or they might move in an illegal way or, or something like that. So yeah, I I love pushing it right at them. Um, That's great. Let's, uh, Let's talk about your machines. We've talked about a lot of these drills, a lot of these moves that you guys teach and that you teach and you you like. Um, a lot of these drills are better with the Dr. Dish. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, not not just a lot of them, all of them. Um, you guys are best in class. We've had a relationship with you guys for, for you know four plus years now, and we've been able to see your products up close and personal, and you guys just keep coming out with just great stuff. Um, whether it's the CT machine or whether it's the home edition. I mean, goodness gracious, man, you guys are on point. So tell us a little bit about your machines, your product line that you guys have right now and how you can incorporate that into workouts. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing is that we're continuing to innovate. We're not satisfied with what happened five years ago, 10 years ago. We know the game is evolving, so your training equipment has to evolve as well. We hear what coaches say, what players say, what trainers say, what they request. And if it's something that we hear enough, we're going to try to figure out a way to incorporate that with our shooting machine because ultimately we really do want players to become the best versions of themselves. And so what we've done is over the last few years, uh, especially is we've tried to enhance the experience for players on the court. Now we know this, if you're in a gym and you're training and you're getting shots up and you have to rebound and come back and forth, you're not going to get that many shots. It's not as efficient. When you get on a shooting machine like Dr. Dishes, you're going to be able to get 10 times the reps in the same amount of time. It's insane. And what that means, obviously, is that if you're correcting something or you're talking with a trainer or a coach, they can give you that direction, and then you can get out there and get more and more shots up to develop those good habits. Again, I have kids that will, will train with other trainers, and there's nothing wrong with it, but throughout their entire session, Maybe they'll get 75 shots up, if that. Okay, I can get 75 shots up in a matter of minutes, right? So think about what that's going to do for a player. It's the same thing with practice, right? When I practiced in college, just the nature of the game, you're running through a million different things. You're actually not getting a ton of shots up, right? So during the season especially, 
you're not working on your skill sets. What we wanted to do is figure out ways that we incorporate our shooting machines off-season, during the season, pre-season, every time of the year that will be beneficial for coaches because if you can enhance or accelerate your skill development, your players are going to be better. That's going to lead to more wins. And so every year we're looking at how we're going to be able to advance our shooting machines. We came out with the CT, which has been a game changer. You have the 15.6-inch HUD screen that plays videos. It displays stats. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's so this is cool, crazy. dude. It I is so like cool. I mean, if I had something like this, I had pro players and uh, I had some college kids coming the other day. They're like, I could be here all day. And I'm like, yeah, I am here all day. Like, this, I love it. <laughs> Way this to is, rub it I'm in, dude. Way to rub it in. My career, my career is done. I'm Chip. I'm trying to get better. I'm, I was like, should I make a comeback? I don't even know. I mean, that's how crazy it is. I'm enjoying it. That's what we hear from a lot of players is they can see the improvement. There they want to do it more. And we have a product for everybody. Obviously, the CT is going to be on the higher end. But our all-star and our rebel are fantastic machines that hook up to our mobile app. You can watch videos on that and track your stats. You can do workouts. Um, and then our home machine, which is a little bit more affordable, still so going to operate under players that feed all your stats. You're going to have access to all our trainers and all that good stuff. Players can hold themselves accountable while having fun, while getting better. You know, incorporate your coaches, your trainers, and your family. And at the end of the day, if you do that, you're going to have some success. I know it firsthand myself just in, in the players that I've worked with, the college players that I've seen that have gotten better and moved on to the next level, and just the feedback that we've had from everybody in the community. It's an awesome thing. I, I recommend everybody check it out. I will always be a massive brand ambassador for Dr. Dish because of the not only the partnership we have, but I've seen your machines and what they can do and up close and personal. And dude, it is just insane. Um, the the level of work you can put in and uh, the amount of fun you can have with it too. You know what I mean? Like the you know, training can get monotonous sometimes, you know, like if you, you're just doing the same thing over and over and over, but being able to have the dish and mix it up and mix up your workouts and keep it fun while you're doing it is fantastic. I'm going to drop the link to your product line in our details of the podcast um, for sure. But one of the things I want you to do before I let you go is to tell us, um, give, give our coaches and our listeners, um, some resources, some ways that they can get in contact with you guys if they have questions. Um, one of the things I know you guys are doing too, especially with here is you're offering an exclusive discount on your machines um, for people that listen to our podcast. And we're so grateful for that, especially because a lot of coaches these days, their budget right now, especially because of the yeah. pandemic is is taking a hit. So um, ways that are the, the exclusive discount you guys are giving to us, man, it's fantastic. Um, I hope coaches take advantage of that. So tell us a little bit more about that real quick and ways that they can get in contact with Dr. Dish. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a fantastic time to purchase right now if you're looking into it. And, and honestly, throughout the year, we have, you know, different discounts that we run at different promos. But obviously, through our partnerships with, you know, people like you, we're able to do a little bit more. So if you are watching this, please take advantage of it. You can get more information about us on our website, like you mentioned, uh, drdishbasketball.com. And then, you know, if you're on social, which majority of people are now, our handle for all our social media is going to be at Dr. Dish B-Ball. So jump on Instagram, jump on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, like we talked about before, not only are we showing skills and drills, but, you know, we're showing skills and drills from college coaches, NBA coaches, other trainers, other high school coaches. We're also, um, you know, posting a ton about uh, blog posts and how you can become a better coach how you can help promote your players if they're in a tough situation. There's just a wealth of knowledge on our social, along with showing our products being in, in full use from players at all different levels. So 
be sure to check us out that way. Uh, my IG is Jefferson Mason Four. I'm always putting up uh, training videos, which we oftentimes repost on our Dr. Dish one as well. But if you're ever looking into some ideas on uh, what you can use and how you can use the machine, you can check out my profile as well. Again, we just want to be here as a resource for everybody out there, especially now during this tough time. But I promise you, we have a product, we have a, a piece of training equipment for you that is going to be a game changer and ultimately change you know, your boy or girl's life. So good, man. So good. Uh, I love the blog posts you guys do. I know you offer a wealth of resources, but I love reading y'all's blog posts as well. So that's just another nice touch. Coach Mason, thank you so much for hopping on um, the United Basketball Leadership Podcast. We are blessed to have you on. Coaches that are listening, I know they're going to be grateful for you um, sacrificing some of your time to hop on this show. Um, and we cannot wait to release this episode so everybody can hear it. Thanks again so much for being on, and we appreciate your time, Coach. Thanks. I appreciate you. Have a good one, brother. All right. Take care.